Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. I would ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16 is where we are. If you're new here, we are working our way through the book of Acts, slowly but surely. We are over halfway through our study of this great book. We're beginning Paul's second missionary journey. You know, advertisement has changed. When I first entered into ministry, I used to get a lot of like e-flyers of different ministry stuff that would happen. Now it comes via email. But, uh, but really, ever since I entered into ministry, I have been inundated with advertisements on how to grow your church. We get this kind of stuff all the time. They used to send out, you know, every, almost every day you got a flyer on something, and now they're email blasts, or sometimes they're, they're, they're other kinds of ads that come in. And I kind of wish I would have kept some of these. Kind of would have been a worthless collection, but, but some of them I, I wish I would have kept because uh, they all kind of promise that your church will grow if you follow their little uh, ideas. And I remember this one that I really wish I would have kept this card. It was a it was like a postcard that came in, and there was this man who was just, you know, he was a bodybuilder. And so you could tell, and he's standing there holding a Bible, but he's kind of holding it like this, you know, arms out. He's just a big guy, and he's holding his Bible, and, uh, and he guarantees to grow your church by 20%. And, uh, and on there it said that he was a gifted opera singer, that he could break a block of ice with his head, and that he could preach touching the hearts of everyone in the church. And if you bring this guy in, he'll, he'll sing a beautiful hymn. And in fact, I remember the flyer said something like, where else can you see a man sing a beautiful hymn in operatic tones, break a, break a block of ice with his head, and preach the gospel? That was what the, the card said. And if you bring this guy in here, your church will grow by 20%. And I remember thinking, yeah, probably would. Like, I don't know. Is that the weird side of me that like to see that? <laughs> you know, all at once. I want to see him sing and break and pre, you know. Anyways, but I remember thinking about this guy. And I wish I could tell you that that was the oddity of advertisements that come in, but it's not. Everybody has an idea of how to grow the church. Everybody has an idea of what they want to do. What does a healthy church look like? And, and, and there's an element of an insecurity that we have, I think, in the United States because we feel this need to grow. We feel this need that if we're not growing, we're dying. And therefore, uh, uh, we have to kind of live in this perpetual pressure of growth. That we have to just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and the question is, is this what we need to remain viable as Christ's church in the world? Obviously, I know that you're, you, you know the answer to that, right? I've set up a, an example in an extreme, right? We know that gimmicks aren't the answer. We know that it isn't going to grow if some bodybuilder breaks a bo block of ice with his head, that it's not necessarily going to cause a revival, and it's not necessarily going to you know, grow our church in any kind of sort of healthy way. But the question is, even though we know that that's not what we are and that's not what we want to be, the question is, what are we supposed to do? 
Right? It's easy to say, yeah, no, we're not bringing a guy like that in here. We're not going to do that. We're not going to follow the gimmicks that are out there. But yet, what is it that makes a healthy church? What is it that makes a church grow? What is it that, that it are the things that we're supposed to be doing? I thought about that this week because in Acts 16, Paul, starting his second missionary journey, and he's about ready to go back and strengthen the churches that he was a part of helping plan. And as he cycles back, started making observations of things that he was doing. What were the things that Paul was doing as he's building up the church along the way? And I've made a few observations. In fact, that's what our outline is. There's kind of three areas that he secured in the way that he did his ministry. He secured the future of the church, he secured the strength of the church, and he secured the success of the church. He, he did this by, by, by doing three different things. He secured the future of the church by, by, by investing and training in, an, in the next generation. We'll see him grab Timothy. He secured the strength of the church by equipping them and establishing them in the message of, of, of salvation by grace through faith that leads to love. And he secured the success of the church by tracking with the Holy Spirit. By tracking with the Spirit, by, by listening to His leading, by not coming up with a plan and sticking to His human ingenuity, but living in submission to the Spirit. And I began to think, you know, as Paul did this, this was his operating system. His operating system was the next generation, establishing people in the message of grace and love, and making sure that whatever they do, they submit everything to the Lord for His leading, for His guidance, for His direction. And I got to thinking, that's the key. We know we're not bringing in bodybuilders. We know we're not doing that. But what are we doing? What is the key to the success, the strength, the future of Kishwaukee Bible Church? I think we, we'll, we'll learn some lessons in here. And I want us to understand this because I want us to be secure. I want us to recognize that, that there are things that we can be doing collectively as a whole as we build up and stand strong and and see this church uh, last through generations until Christ returns. So let's look at this here this morning. Let's look at how Paul secured the future of the church um, by grabbing a hold of a faithful man. Look at, follow along with me. I'm going to read the first three verses of Acts 16. It says, Paul came also to Derbe, to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul comes back to this city, to this region now. He's in southern Turkey, right there in the coastal area of Turkey. Comes back to some of these cities that he's, that he's already ministered to, and when he gets there, he comes across this disciple, this follower of Jesus, by the name of Timothy. We, learned, we know some things about Timothy from another book of the Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. We know that Timothy was raised in the Scriptures. He had a Jewish mom, and his Jewish mom and his grandmother taught him the Word of God. His father was a Gentile, not a Jew, and so... But he was raised in the scriptures, and somehow either his family or his, we don't know whether his dad became a believer or what happened, but Timothy had trusted Christ. So Timothy now had a grounding in the word of God. We know that from 
the book of 2 Timothy, but we also know that he was raised to live like a Gentile. He was living a Gentile world. We'll get to that in a little bit. But here's the interesting thing. When Paul hears of this man, the first thing he does is he says, I'm going to take this guy. There's something about Paul, and, and I want to kind of make this observation thinking of the whole Bible, not just this passage. But I've realized something. One of the lessons I've learned from the Apostle Paul is that he recognizes that the future of the church is dependent upon the present and whether or not the people of the present are investing it into the next generation. He makes this point. Well, I'm going to show it to you later, but he makes this point, and this is really key, right? The future of our church is for us to prepare the future of the church. And we've got lots of kids here. The future of our church is in us preparing them, right? Investing into them, ensuring that they understand this. This is something that's key to Paul's ministry. We'll, I'll show this to you other places in a little bit. But here's what Paul did. He grabs Timothy. And he begins the process that's going to carry on from Paul to Timothy to other men to other men to other men and down the way this thing's going to go. I love it. Now let's look at Timothy. Let's look at what happened. First thing I want, to sh I want us to look at is the selection process that Paul used. There's a selection process, right? He comes to this town. He sees this disciple. He's a follower of Jesus. But notice what we learn about him. That, that, that he was well spoken of by the brothers. He had a good reputation. It's amazing that Paul did not say he had right doctrine, right theology, that all of his ducks in a row, and that's, that was the highlight. That's not saying Paul didn't take truth seriously. He took it very seriously. But the most important thing for Paul, first and foremost, was character. Character. You can teach somebody a doctrine, but if they don't have character, they're going to undo what they, what they believe. Right? We live this thing out. It has to be there. And so he sees a guy with character, and he invests into him. It's amazing to think about this, but his reputation was everything. Luke goes out of his way that he was well-spoken of by the brothers. Now, how do you become well-spoken of? I think you become well-spoken of because you're living what you believe. There's, a, there, there's not a gap between what you believe and what you live. That, that, that what he believed was fleshing out in the day-to-day -day experiences with others. And it's amazing because when you have a good reputation, everybody talks about it. I like it when I talk about people, when I mention a name of somebody, and you talk about somebody and you say, oh, hey, you know, I'm looking forward to meeting this guy, and someone will say, oh, he's a good man. It always happens. Or somebody will say, hey, there's, you go into this town, there's a really good guy there, I can't wait for you to meet him, he's a great guy. See, that reputation follows, it's, it's everything. And so, he sees this guy, he says, all right, he's got a good reputation. Now what does he do? He preps him. His ministry preparation was a bit awkward because <laughs> he has to get circumcised okay but he preps him why does he do this to him because he knows Paul's ministry is that he's going into synagogues and that's usually his starting point and he knows that the Jewish people would really struggle really struggle with a guy who was raised like a Gentile and so Paul says listen and we know this is his theology as, as Luke has unfolded the heart of this thing is that we're going to go love these people. He wasn't doing this to please the false teachers who said you're not saved unless you're circumcised. He's doing it to reach people. 
This is his heart. I want to get in here. I want to do whatever we can to reach him. Timothy, I don't want your past to get in the way of our mission. So your ministry preparation will be this. This is what you need to do because this is what the mission is about. It's about engaging people this way. And so he picks him up, preps him, and they go off to do their mission. One of the things that's interesting is that this was definitely a pattern that Paul wanted to be repeated in the church because in 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul tells Timothy, everything you heard from me, I want you to pass it on. I want you to pass it on. I want you to do the same thing. If we think about the future of our church, we don't want to just think about the future of our church in numbers, like numeric growth. We can't think of it in that way. What, what do we need to do to get 500 people in this room? What do we need to do to get 1,000 people in this room? What we need to be thinking about, if we think about the future of the church, is who should we be giving it away to? Who is the next generation in this room that needs to hear it? Who is the person that God is raising up in our midst that we need to be investing into? Right? It's incumbent upon the present of the church to invest into the future. If we lose sight of that, we're losing sight of something very important. This is, this is, this is one of the pillars of the church, that we invest it into the next generation. Paul got it from Timothy. Timothy was to keep passing it on. And I believe that was to continue on until Christ returned. But now, let's look at the next thing he does. He not only kind of takes care of the future of the church, he also secures the strength of the church by teaching. Look at verse 4. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them... Oh, let me start that over again. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decision that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. Interesting. So here's what they did. If you remember, if you weren't here, I'll kind of back you up and get you caught up here. Uh, Paul first went to these, this region, and he was preaching the gospel that you trust in Christ and you're saved. And then some people came from Jerusalem out to this region and started telling people, no, you, you're saved by faith, and you've also got to follow the law. You got started adhering to all the 600 laws in the Bible, and, and you got to become a Jew, basically. And, and a council met in Jerusalem and said, no, you are saved by grace through faith. That's the end of it. This is the message. Now, this salvation of grace through faith should always lead to love, so make sure that you're serving those who are going to struggle. Because there was an issue between the way Gentiles lived and Jews lived, and the message to the Gentiles was, be aware that these Jews will struggle a little bit with your lifestyle, some of the things that you're used to, to learning. So, so be aware of this and be willing to set those aside for the sake of the brethren. So I like to say the message of the gospel is a message of grace through faith that leads to love. It's just the pattern. Grace, faith, love, service. And so what does he do? Paul goes to these villages, goes to these regions, and he begins to remind them of these things. Notice what he says. They went on their way. They went to each of the cities, and they said, listen, we want you to think about this. When it says in the ESV, delivered to them for their observance, what he was basically saying is he delivered it in a way that they would think about it, reflect on the implication of it, reflect on the fact that Christ did it all. You trust in him and there's salvation, that the cross was able to cleanse you of all of your sin. There's nothing that you can do to cleanse yourself, but the calling of this great message of grace, this great message of faith, is a calling that causes us to think about others 
and be willing to set aside our freedoms for the sake of others. And he says he wanted these people to think about it. Now notice what happens in verse 5. The church then becomes strengthened in their faith. They become stable. And when they become stable, what happens? They begin to grow. They begin to grow. Now this growth was not the kind of growth we have in the United States. The United States, pretty much, uh, Milan and I were talking about this on the drive-in, you could pretty much go to any town in the United States and, uh, and about 40% of that town will profess some kind of faith in Jesus. Which means that we could go into any town, set up a good church, and, and just try to pull those 40% of believers into our church. Kind of go in and say, hey, we do church better than your church, come to us. We could do that. <clears throat> That's not the kind of growth they had. They had growth of people actually being converted. Actually people repenting of their sin. People who were lost in darkness that heard the message of Christ and were being brought in to the fellowship of the body. Why would they have this? Because they weren't preaching a gospel of morality. They weren't coming in and saying, hey, listen, you're not cutting it. God's going to be mad at you. You better be moral. They came in and they said, guess what? You can be set free. There is a message of grace. There's a message that, that Christ has covered it all. That you can come with your past, all the problems, that, everything, and you can be made clean and right with God through what Christ has done on the cross. And he's called you into fellowship with him. And you could be set free. They came with that message. And they also came with a message that said, now listen, as you come in, realize this. We need to go back out and tell people about this. And so make sure that in this newfound freedom you have, you never lose sight of love. You never lose sight of love for the brethren. You do not become judgmental. Without the message of grace and love, what tends to happen is we get further away from the world. We begin to get an attitude towards the world. Right? We get an attitude. Oh, those sinners. Oh, I can't be around them. And we start to pull away. But the message of the Jerusalem Council was, it is by grace, through faith, let's go love these people and set aside the preferences of our life so that we can bring that great glorious news of the gospel to people. This is what he's establishing them in. Grace, faith, love, essentials of the church. Grace, faith, love. And notice the fruit of it as they go into that region. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in number. Notice the word daily. The message of the gospel was going into the community and literally daily people are being saved. I wonder if that's just a one-time event or I wonder if that's the heart of God. I'm thinking that's the heart of God. I'm thinking that a church that embraces a message of grace, a message of faith, and a message of love think is ready. Grace is an incredible message of hope, right? God will love you and care for you no matter what you've done. Faith is an incredible freeing message because I just trust in that work of Christ. And love for the brother and love for people is what motivates me to go into the world, drives me in there to go bring this message out. I remember one of the ads that came my way. <clears throat> this one you'll think is cute, I think. This was an ad, this was maybe 15 years ago. They said, you know what, you could grow your church by 10% a, 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 a quarter. That's what it was, 10% a quarter. 
Every three months, grow by 10%. Here's what you do. On Sunday morning, show episodes of the Andy Griffith Show. Okay? Some of you, who has no idea what the Andy Griffith Show is, just out of curiosity? Okay, if you're, it's okay to be brave about this. It's an old show. Okay, good. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Andy Griffith Show. Show episodes of this 1960s sitcom, and then as a pastor, stand up and give moral lessons. Everybody wants to come and see Andy Griffith. Everybody does. You could just actually put out the episode on your church sign. We're showing this episode of the Andy Griffith Show. Come and grow by 10%. See, that kind of stuff where you think, that isn't the message, right? That will never get us to grace and faith and love. And the thing that seemed to be growing the church was a commitment to the gospel. You're saved by grace through faith that leads to love. It seems to be the message. Everywhere in the book of Acts, and it's often a line like church five, for church, church five, verse five, how's that? Verse five shows up. The churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. There's the key right there. So Paul, he secured the future, secured the strength. Let's look at the last thing he did. He secured the success of the church. Now you might say success. Is that a good word? It seems to be like a bad word, right? We don't think of the church as successful. I picked that word intentionally because there is an element that, that this church is supposed to be doing something. It's supposed to be accomplishing something. And oftentimes we can think, uh, we, we might have a measure of what is success or what is not success in our own mind. But in order for the church to be successful, it must be a church that, that, that is grounded in a message of grace, faith, love, led and controlled by the Spirit. And this is what happens. Paul starts to track with the Spirit. Let's look at verse 6. Let me show you what I mean by this. He says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. So they're still in Turkey. Having been forbidden by the Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to uh, Mycenae, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Okay, so here's the picture we get. Paul is about ready to go on this journey, and he's going to go into Turkey. Now, if you can picture a world map in your mind, or if you want to bring it up on your phone, you can. Um, just don't Google anything. And you, have, you have Turkey. He's kind of wanting to go up into Turkey and around into Russia. That's his strategy. We kind of pick up from this that this was his plan, that he was just going to keep marching up into Turkey and then turn right and then go up. I guess that would be left for you, but it's right to me. Turn right and, and go into Russia. So this is the strategy he's working on. And every time he's trying to make this move north, God keeps stopping him. We don't know how God stopped him, but it says two times God stopped him because Paul's strategy was to go to Asia and God kept saying, no, you're not going to go to Asia. You're not going to go to Asia. It's very interesting that God would not let him go. This is a hard part of life sometimes. He's got a plan. He's got a desire. He's an apostle. And all of a sudden, God is stopping this process. Again, we don't know exactly how God did it. Possibly in a dream, possibly in a mission, possibly things just falling apart, things not going the way that he thinks they should be going. But he's trying. He's moving. Now, it isn't that his trying is a bad thing. Right? It isn't that. It isn't that Paul's desire to go into Asia is a bad thing. The whole world needs to hear the gospel. Asia needs to be heard. Message got to get there. It just wasn't God's will that Paul goes there. God wanted him in Europe. 
But he's trying to go to Asia. So he's, he's colliding a little bit. Serving God is a very dynamic thing. But here's what happened. Eventually, Paul has, gets a vision. You see the vision that's there. Notice what happens in verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. little observation I want you to note there. You're going to start seeing the word we turn up. Luke joined Paul on this part of the mission. This is where Luke picks up in the story. And from this point forward, Luke starts talking about we, we, we. We did this. We did this together. We did this together. That kind of a thing. And so, so Luke is now giving us a firsthand narrative. As they're making their way, a vision comes to Paul, and there is a man crying out, come over to Macedonia, help us. We need you in Europe. We need you in this direction, not Asia. Come. Paul gets this vision. It appears to him at night, and now he goes. Now, why did God use a vision? I will give you the theological answer. Because he wanted to. There you go. <laughs> That's the reason why. And he gets the vision, and he goes. Now, it's interesting. I find that tension interesting. You know, um, and it's an interesting tension because I think it's something that happens in life a lot. A few years ago, well, probably 13, 14 years ago, I had a chance to watch uh, guys in the Coast Guard do firefighting training. It's an interesting thing to watch them do. Everybody in the Coast Guard when is on a ship. Everyone has to know how to fight a fire. It'd be obvious, right? They all have to be firefighters because if you're out in the middle of the ocean on a ship and there's a fire, there's no 911 to call. You have to put it out. So every guy on a ship has to know how to put out a fire, and so they all go to firefighting school. I had a chance to go to this firefighting school with them and to watch them learn how to put out a fire. Pretty fascinating thing. And, uh, and so they, they're going to do this. And I remember putting on all the, the gear, and I got really claustrophobic. And I thought, man, I got a lot of respect for firefighters. I can't even wear the helmet outside, let alone in a fire when it's smoky and dark. So these guys go in, and they, they're training them not just to be firefighters in a, in a building that's on fire, but on a ship. And so they're going through this exercise. It's a, it's a, it's a real fire. They put this structure on fire, and they have to pretend like they're on a ship and put out the fire. And uh, along the way, they have people, actually dummies, just they're not real people, dummies laying on the ground as if they're injured sailors. And they have to figure out what to do. You're coming across, you're fighting the fire on the ship, and there's your friend who's down, and, and he's going to die. The question is, do you put your hose down and tend to your friend to save his life, or do, you, or do you step over your friend and fight the fire? All the sailors in the first round failed the test because they all took care of their friends first. That's where their instincts were leading them. And they said, you can't do that. Because if the ship burns up, it doesn't matter if you saved his life. You're all going to die. You've got to save the ship first. You've got to switch your instincts. Your instincts are going are good. Those are good instincts to care for people. But you're going to have to push against those instincts to do what's right. And I thought about that, and I thought about Paul. And I thought about the fact that, man, he is just wanting to go into Asia, wanting to take the gospel here. His instincts are leading him, and God is saying, no, you got to go here. And that move to, 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 to go over 
to Europe is a dangerous, complex move. It's not easy. He's already in Asia. He's already got churches forming. He's already got a, a great platform. And God is taking him from a solid platform to a whole new region, fraught with dangers, fraught with problems. His instincts were, were good, but God's plan was a little bit more complicated. And I was thinking, in the same kind of tension that these sailors must have had, the same kind of tension going on in Paul. Man, everything seems to be in place. It seems like this is the natural path. And yet God's saying, no, I'm actually taking you on a way more complicated path. One that's going to drive, and, and it will be, as we'll see. This is a complicated mission he's about ready to embark on. One that's going to create kind of dangers and, and problems and issues. But yet that is God's plan. And the success of the church is predicated upon a man who says, what God wants is what I want. I'm, I'm willing to, to say, not my will, but your will, God. I'm willing to lay down my agenda for your agenda. I'm willing to, to, to listen to the leading of the Spirit and go the path that you're going. Setting that model for the church sets it up for success because our natural instincts will lead us towards oftentimes the safe natural path. And sometimes God says, no, I'm actually going to make it a little more complicated. A little more complicated. Why would he take him from Asia and pop him over to Europe? Why can't you just take somebody who's starting a fresh mission? Let him go to Europe. Send Barnabas over there. Right? Paul's already got a great thing going, but yet this is God's plan. Don't question it. I think about Matthew 7, 19 through 21, when Jesus said to the people, depart from me, I didn't know you. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? But you don't do what I tell you. You're coming to me with everything you've done, but I've told you to do some things and you're not doing them. This is Paul. Okay, God, if this is what you want, I'll do it, even though it's more complicated. But that secures the success of the church. So let's kind of wrap this up. What do we have here? In Paul's second missionary journey, he secures the future of the church by grabbing Timothy, and as, we'll, as, as the New Testament unfolds, we discover he grabs Timothy so that Timothy would grab other people, so this would start a process of investing into the next generation. Investing into the next generation. That secures the future of the church. It has to be embedded in our church. I just want you to know that. We have to own that same kind of heart. All around us is the future. All around us is the future. The success of the future of Kishwaukee Bible Church is predicated on whether or not we are actually passing it on. And as the faithful young people emerge, we begin to say, you're the next generation. I'm giving this to you. This is yours. Take it. And if you're the next generation, you need to receive it. Don't sit back and say, no, you do it. You do it. I just kind of want to coast back here, kind of walk in your wake. And know this, next generation, we're going to be giving you the baton. We need you to take it. We need you to take it. He secured the, the strength of the church by making sure they understood the message of that we are saved by grace through faith, but that grace and faith leads to love. So the freedoms that I have in Christ, I'm willing to set them aside for the sake of bringing the message of grace and faith to people who need to hear it. And when a church is established in grace faith and love and people are going to engage with that then growth occurs 
That's the right kind of growth. We don't need blocks of ice or Andy Griffith. We need people established in grace, faith, and love. Paul secured the success of the church by himself submitting himself to the lead of the Spirit, even though it causes pain or discomfort, even though his natural instincts are leading him in one direction, God rearranges him into another direction. I was thinking about this. And I was thinking, here would be an interesting motto. I'm really not changing our motto here, but I'm just playing around. We kind of said, listen, this is a good little motto or mantra or whatever you want to use. We could say, you know what? We at Kishwaukee Bible Church, we want to glorify God by training the next generation, teaching people to walk by faith and love and tracking with the path of God. That's what we want. And we know it's a good motto because it has three T's in it. (laughs) But I believe if that's the frame of our church, we will stand strong. Let's pray. God, I do pray for three things here this morning, three very specific things. Lord, I pray for the next generation that's here. I pray for these young people that are here. I pray, God, that in our midst are not just children. In our midst are not just people who are just going to grow up and leave and go start their own life. But what is here are people who we should pass the baton to the next generation, the people that we should be saying, as you raising them up in our midst, here, come join us. Lord, I pray that we'd be faithful to see that. And Lord, I pray for them, that they would be faithful to receive it. That they would recognize that they have a place and a seat at your table. They've got a purpose in your mission. They've got a reason for being here beyond just existing in this world if they feel like their past is too bad for them, it doesn't matter because we have a message of grace. We're not defined by our past, but we're defined by you and your love. That you've created them for a purpose, Lord. May they see that, embrace that, and may we not only be faithful to pass it on, may they be faithful to receive it. I pray, Lord, that we would never lose sight of the glorious gospel, that Christ accomplished it all, that he took your wrath, he stood in our place, he secured our standing with you, all because of your grace where you choose to give us that blessing instead of what we deserve. And we trust in that, we cling to it, we believe it, and we are saved. But Lord, let that same grace that is driven by love shape our hearts, that we might be people of love, the desire to, to take that message everywhere we are, We don't need big programs. Lord, just let us be faithful today. Let's be faithful tomorrow. Let us bring that message to the people around us. And Lord, as your spirit leads and moves and guides us, sometimes in paths that are uncomfortable, sometimes in paths that create disruption, sometimes turning us from one direction to the next direction, Lord, may we just trust that as you lead, that is the best and the only place we want to be. And Lord, as you guide and direct and move things around in our church, that that's the success. The success isn't based on trying to maintain the past, but to be faithful with where you're leading us. Lord, may we follow, 
joyful hearts, even when at times it causes us to go against things that, that our instincts or our heart maybe tells us is tough or difficult. So that God, our future, our strength, and our success would be predicated on your work and your work alone. Lord, may we stand strong as a church. May this be a church that carries on until Christ returns. In his name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Kishwaukee Bible Church. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H, bible.org.